0: Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com.
1: This is episode 338, and we're talking about walking the Milford Track.
0: That's right. We just completed this probably about 10 days ago, spent some time in Queenstown, then jumped over to Victoria, Australia, where we're just outside Melbourne at the moment, and it's great. Before we kick into things, what is the Milford Track?
1: So the Milford Track is a four-day walk in Fiordland in the South Island of New Zealand, and it's known as the greatest walk in the world. New Zealand has a system of great walks. There are nine of them at the moment. I think a new one is coming in, although technically one of them is not a great walk at all. It is a great paddle. It's a kayaking journey. Anyway, the Milford Track is the most famous of these walks, and to get there, it's really complicated. You have to drive and then take a boat and then you walk for four days and you get a boat out and you have to get a bus back to Queenstown. So it's all very complicated. It's really in the middle of nowhere and it is beautiful.
0: Yeah, absolutely stunning. So more on that later in the show. About us, we're currently standing in a small house, a tiny house that's been made out of an abandoned train carriage. How neat is that?
1: Yeah, so we're staying with my sister on her farm near Sunbury in Victoria, Australia and they have all these little bits and pieces around the house. They have quite a big farmhouse. And underneath, there's a two-bedroom unit, which they rent out on Airbnb. They've got two train carriages. One has been made into a like a unit of its own, which is where we're staying. And the other one is a work in progress. So I'm interested to see what happens there.
0: Yeah, it's quite neat. We don't know what the steel walls are going to do to the sound recording of this show, though. So apologies in advance if it's a little echoey. Echo.
1: Greg, you are so crazy.
0: It didn't come back. We're okay. <laughs> We're okay. Uh, we also took a little day trip up to Bendigo, which is apparently, the, I think, the second or third biggest town in Victoria. And that was quite amazing. I've never thought to have gone there before.
1: I thought we had gone there before, but I think I might have been conflating it with Ballarat, which is another town about an hour out of Melbourne. And it's got a big historical village. And we've been there once or twice. It's just quite fun. Um, Yeah, so it was quite funny. We got up early in the morning on Saturday in Christchurch, hopped on a flight. We had to be at the airport at around 4.30. So that meant a four o'clock wake up, uh, which wasn't very fun. But luckily, the flight was nice and smooth and we were picked up without any problems. And then we basically arrived at the farm and got in the car because my sister, in true form, uh, instead of hanging out here at the farm to spend time with us, had gone to a conference. So we took the two boys, Henry and Leo, up to see her and had a wonderful day. We went to see the Dragon Museum and wandered around, had a look at Anna's new 20s-style flapper dress, and
0: and that was really fun. Yeah, the Chinese history of Bendigo was really fascinating, and I'd really recommend that museum and the uh, Chinese gardens to anyone that's going. What was most surprising, though, was the giant fruit bats in the park. (laughs) There were thousands of them circling around during the daytime, hanging from the trees. It was so unexpected, I think, having these giant bats just flapping around overhead. It was really surprising.
1: Yeah, I really agree with you, Craig, about the Chinese history. It was especially interesting because we'd just spent time in Arrowtown, which is a small town near Queenstown in the South Island of New Zealand. And it has a big Chinese history as well. Uh, a lot of Chinese people came over from China, obviously, in the 1850s and 60s for the gold rush. So that was both in Australia and in New Zealand. So it's a similar story. But here in in Victoria and in Bendigo, they still keep some of the traditions alive with um, an annual parade. So that was really cool. Our sponsor for this episode of the Indie Travel Podcast is Alliance Global Assistance.
0: As you know, we're talking about walking the Milford Track in this show. And while we're preparing for the walk, we thought a lot about what would happen if something goes wrong.
1: Well, that's because things do go wrong. Absolutely.
0: And there were 16 of us on this trip. So, you know, we had to have a few contingency plans ready to roll.
1: But especially you. I mean, Craig has, a tendency, <laughs> Craig has a tendency to break while we're hiking. One time, we were in the South Island as well. We were on the Queen Charlotte track and his ankle just packed in. And he had to miss a whole day of the hike, which is a problem when you're going from one place to another. But luckily, there was a water taxi service that he could use to get to the next campground. And he was awkward the next day, but just lighter of pocket.
0: Yes, in terms of cash and painkillers. <laughs> but yeah, imagine you're in the jungle or in the bush and you have a major accident. One of our friends had a massive problem on the Amazon River. He ended up being taken out of the jungle by helicopter and sent home to Canada by air ambulance, which is pretty expensive if you're paying for it yourself.
1: Luckily, he had travel insurance, so that was not a problem. And that is why it's so important to get travel insurance. Of course, make sure to read your policy carefully before you travel to make sure you understand exactly what you're covered for. Allianz's policies all include protection against lost baggage, as well as trip cancellation and interruption. But please read the terms before you sign up, or afterwards, if you prefer, taking advantage of their 10-day
0: review period. Yeah, that's a really cool thing with Allianz.
1: So in this episode, I talk with our friend Janine about the Milford Track, and we chose to talk to her because she was the one who had the inspiration, chivied us all along, and did, okay, 90% of the planning for doing
0: the Milford Track. Thanks, Janine. Thanks,
1: Janine. How long have we known Janine for?
0: I'm 36 this year, so close to 20 years. That's not a good thought. That's terrifying. God, we're getting old.
1: It's a wonderful thing. Anyway, we've spent a lot of time with Janine. We've traveled with her a lot, most recently in Mexico and Cuba, which was awesome. And uh, yeah, so let's get into it. So I'm here with my friend Janine, who, if you've been listening to the podcast for some time, will recognize from such trips as the trip in Spain and Portugal, our trip through Cuba and Mexico, our trip through South America, and lots of other trips. Hi Indie Travel
2: Podcast listeners, nice to meet you again.
1: (laughs) So today we're talking about the Milford Track and I thought I would interview Janine because although we were also on the track, Janine did a lot of the planning and the hardest part I think about the Milford Track is the planning.
2: Yeah, absolutely and in particular transport which I think we'll cover in more depth a bit later on but it's it's a bit confusing just knowing where to start, where you need to look, what you need to know. So I think we'll talk about that a bit today to help people who are wanting to do it to know in advance what they need to know.
1: Yeah, I looked into doing the Milford Track a little while ago, and it was just really hard to find the information. Like, there wasn't one repository of information. There was heaps of inspiration. There were packing lists. Uh, The DOC website, Department of Conservation website, had lots of information. But it wasn't just straightforward. You couldn't go, okay, I'm going to do the hike and let's go.
2: Yeah, it's not neatly packaged up and easy to access, which for one of New Zealand's most famous and most beautiful hikes is surprising that it's not easier to get the information you need to be able to do it.
1: Yeah, so why don't we start by talking about what is the Milford Track?
2: So the Milford Track is a four-day, three-night walk through Fjordland, which is one of the most beautiful areas of New Zealand, which is beautiful all over, obviously, but mm-hmm. particularly it's Fjordland. It's very green, it's very um, scenic, big mountains, misty outlooks, and just an incredible area with amazing bird life and um, beautiful waterways as well.
1: Yeah, and the Milford Track is
2: this really famous walk. Often described as the greatest walk in the world. I'd agree
1: with that. I mean, it's one of New Zealand's great walks, and I'd say it's the greatest walk, not that I've done any of the other ones.
2: <laughs> well, I've done a few, and Milford is its stunning. Like The scenery is amazing. The walk itself is really... It's not easy, but it's not super difficult, so you get all the benefits of the amazing views and heights without really having to have a too strenuous a walk to get there
1: mm-hmm. why did you want to do the milford track
2: i can't actually remember the specifics of the milford but the genesis came from this time last year i did the tongareiro crossing for my birthday and my birthday was on a wednesday and i decided to just take the day off work drive down to national park which is about five hours drive from auckland where i live do the Tongariro crossing, stay overnight, do a few other things. And just on the day, like instead of spending your birthday in the office and everyone's like, oh, happy birthday. Did you bring us a cake? Um, <laughs> I was out on the great outdoors doing something amazing. And it was an incredible bluebird sky day um, when I did it. And it was just such a good feeling that I decided from then on that I would do a great walk every year for my birthday. So I Not got,
1: necessarily a great walk, right? Because wow. next year we might have some plans to be somewhere else. I Maybe. A, a great type of walk.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway, I got back to our accommodation in National Park after doing um, Tongarero. And I think Milford was just suggested by someone who's been an amazing walk. So I looked it up and it happened that the tickets went on sale two weeks later, which was the 4th of May. It's Um, a very important point. Which is a very important point. So we may as well get onto that now. Uh So tickets went on sale on the 4th of May. And I was like, oh, what brilliant timing. I'll ask around my friends. And turns out we got a group of 17 of us keen to do the Milford. Um, And then when the tickets went on sale, it was 4th of May, 9am. And I had a a group of friends lined up all ready to buy tickets. And we'd just get whatever dates we could get. Because we wanted to look over Easter, which also fell on school holiday week um, in New Zealand. Um, We had four of us trying to buy tickets, constantly refreshing the websites from, you know, 8.59am on the 4th of May. It was like buying tickets for Glastonbury. It was insane. We could not get through. The website was crashing. One person finally managed to get some dates and we're like, book it! And we got them. They weren't quite the dates we wanted, but they were very close. Turns out the whole season sold out in 90 minutes. That's the entire year of bookable tickets on the Milford Track. So, for those of you who don't know, Milford Track, it's set. You do the four days, three nights, and you can't deviate it. You can't walk faster or slower. There are huts available which sleep 40 people or they sell tickets for 40 for each hut. Um, and once you book in, you book sort of the first night and the other two nights book automatically for you. And there's only the 40 tickets. You can't go camping. You can't take a tent. You can't you know, just take a bivy bag and sleep in the bush. It's... 40 people per night, that's it. And the tickets, um the season runs, I think, from October to April. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the ones that you can book. And if I'm correct, the rest of the year – Tickets aren't bookable, you just sort of turn up because it's off season. It's a lot wetter and wilder and windier, and people don't go as often. Mm-hmm. So,
1: if you, you want to still stay, but you have to have a different kind of pass. And also, they take the bridges away. So, it makes yeah. the experience quite a lot different.
2: Yeah. Fun fact about the Milford apparently, they use helicopters to remove all the bridges over winter because of avalanches and, you know, torrential rivers and that sort of thing. So, all the bridges that we walked across, with the exception of, I guess, the big suspension bridges, mm-hmm. are all taken off, and winter walkers. I don't know what they do.
1: Yeah, well, some of the bridges
2: weren't completely necessary
1: because the rivers weren't very big at the time. But I remember walking over some bridges going, I'm so glad about this bridge. And I didn't even know they took them away at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think walking during the season, yeah. So it's from October until the end of April. So yeah, I mean,
2: of dates may vary year to year. Yeah. So if you want to do the Milford, look at what the dates the season are and absolutely check when tickets go on sale and be prepared to buy very quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, we booked almost exactly a year in advance, right? Because yeah. we did it at the end of April and they went on sale at the beginning of May. So definitely preparation is in order in that that regards. How much did the tickets cost?
2: So tickets were $54 per hut per night, so that's 162 New Zealand dollars in total for the three nights. Mm-hmm. Okay, so
1: obviously booking your tickets is a very important logistical challenge. Then you actually have to get transport to the start of the walk and away from the end of the walk.
2: Let's talk about that. Yeah, so this was, as Linda said in the beginning of this podcast, like surprisingly, lack of information on the Milford and these critical things like transport, because you can't just drive to the start of the track or get a pickup from the end. You have to get a boat at both the beginning and the end. And then chances are you'll need to get buses or shuttles to meet the boats. So let's start from the beginning. The track starts at Glade House and to get to Glade House, you need to get a boat from Tianau down. So that's a one hour boat trip. They run, they've got a pretty regular schedule and you can look that all up online and you can actually book it through dock as well. Then once you finish the track, you come out at Sandfly Point, aptly name, and it's the home of the Sandfly, apparently. Mm -hmm. So when you get out to Sandfly Point, you then wait for a a little shuttle boat to take you to Milford Sound. And Milford Sound is a very big sort of tourist spot. There's a lot of boat trips, overnight cruises, buses, helicopters, flights, all sorts of things when you get there. Sandfly Point to Milford, the boat is about five minutes, um, and you can book that with... Real journeys. There might be a few other companies that do it as well, because it's a very short journey, about mm-hmm. five minutes. So you need to book a boat at the beginning and a boat at the end. And then once you have those two boats booked, you also need to figure out how to get to the boat and back from the boat. So if you're coming from overseas, Queenstown's going to be the airport that you'll be flying into. And there are plenty of shuttles from Queenstown to Tiana Downs, which is where the boat goes from. Alternatively you might want to stay overnight in Tiana before the Milford and get a shuttle from there. So companies like Intercity, Treknet, um I think potentially Real Journeys, there's probably a few of them do those shuttles. And the things you just need to look for is the timing. Um alternatively you can get a rental car and drive yourself there. It's about two and a half hours from Queenstown to Tiana Downs, mm-hmm. where the boat leaves from. And if you do that, you'll just want to make sure that you're not leaving valuables and that sort of thing in your car. There is secure storage at Tiano if you want that option instead, and then get a shuttle from there.
1: Can you give us an idea of how much a bus from Queenstown to Tiano Downs would cost?
2: I think it's around $90. Um, I remember for our group, it was more economical for us to hire rental cars. I think if you have any more than probably three people, it would definitely be worth looking into a rental car for that leg, because it's quite expensive to get from Queenstown to Tiano downs so even hiring a rental car and then parking it there for four days that you're not using it mm-hmm. still worked out cheaper than paying for four people to get a shuttle
1: yeah okay so you get to queenstown by plane you get a hire car or a bus all the way to Tiano downs then you get a boat which is about an hour and a half which takes you to Glade wharf then you do the walk you get in sandfly point five minute boat shuttle yep. to milford sound and then you get a bus all the way back to Tiana or to Queenstown.
2: That's right. So we did that leg with uh, TrackNet. I think there's a few other companies as well that will do that one. And they had the option of dropping us at Tiana Downs, which is where we left our car, Tiana, which is where we had left a car and secure storage, or some of the people on the trip were going all the way back to Queenstown. So you do have quite a few options there. It's just a matter of finding them and making sure the timings work as well.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So as a general guide, how much would you say you need to allocate for transport from
2: Queenstown back to Queenstown? So Queenstown to Tiano Downs, I think was around $90 for a, a shuttle. And then from Tiano Downs, the boat trip, that's an outer glade wharf. And then from Sandfly Point to Milford, which is five minutes. And then getting the shuttle from Milford back to Tiano Downs, that all up was around $180. And then instead of getting, um, you could get another shuttle back to Queenstown, which would probably be another 90 or you could skip those two Queenstown to Tiano Down legs and buy a rental car instead. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's, it does get a bit pricey, right? Yeah, so all up, my group, we looked at about, track fees were 160 the boats were around 180 we had rental cars that were chipping in about, um, I think, $50 each for. So that came up to about $400. Then food, um, which if... You know, it can be very economical to cook for hiking. I'm sure Craig and Linda have covered this in other podcasts, uh-huh. but it doesn't need to cost much if you're doing your own thing. Alternatively, you can buy, there's some really good ready meals here, the backcountry and mm-hmm. car ranges, which are about $15 per person per meal. And then, of course, you need your gear, which hopefully if you're doing the Milford, you've got some good wet weather gear, good boots and a good pack.
1: Yeah, I think wet weather gear is a really important thing to talk about because the Milford Sound area is one of the wettest areas in the country, right? And we were ridiculously lucky when it came to weather. We had a beautiful day the first day. It drizzled a little on the second day, and then it got into rain. Third day was a bit misty, got a bit rainy, and was really cold because that was when we were up on the peak. And the last day, beautiful and sunny. So – That was spectacularly good weather. (laughs) Yeah. That was really lucky. We didn't really need – we needed kind of pack covers, but we didn't really need weather gear at all, did we?
2: No, we were very lucky. Like I bought waterproof pants for the trip, and I didn't actually end up needing to use them at all. I used them today when we went cycling from Queenstown to Arrowtown, but didn't Uh need them on the Milford. My partner's parents did the Milford track two years ago, and they actually got rained in um, one of the huts that rained – could be wrong this, but I think it was something like four metres overnight um, and they had obviously couldn't cross the rivers because they were so swollen so they had to stay a second night in the hut that they were in so it does rain a lot in the Milford I think it's one of the wettest areas in New Zealand and this is, brings us to another good point is around emergency meals and just sort of being in general prepared for unforeseen events so when you're going hiking in New Zealand you always want to have at least one day's emergency food supply and water supply and with the Milford you know it does happen that you might need to stay an extra night at a hut that you weren't planning to because of poor weather conditions Mm -hmm. yeah so you want to make sure that you're prepared with food and warm clothing as well
1: yeah so what do you think are the most important things to pack
2: warm layers um, and emphasis on the layers because if you have just one really warm item and it gets wet or you know it's too heavy you you don't really have many options there. So take a lot of layers, take thin layers, thermals, mm-hmm. merinos, things like that are really good. A head torch is absolutely a necessity. The huts have lights that go on. Most of them are around 6pm at night. The lights would go on and mm-hmm. then go off at 9 So they're automatic lights. And once the lights are off, there's absolutely nothing. And if you're doing any packing, unpacking, need to go to the bathrooms in the middle of the night, you definitely need a head torch.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think lots of good socks are important because if they get wet, cold socks, cold wet socks are
2: quite yeah. miserable good it's- boots I mean
1: I walked in shorts but some people had trousers just whatever you're comfortable walking in
2: yeah I had the tight leggings which sort of go below the knee which I thought were quite good because they kept your legs warm mm-hmm. they kept the sand flies away and they yeah. also dried very quickly if you got wet
1: yeah and then yeah maybe a wicking kind of t-shirt yeah as you say thin layers I had polypropylene merino is really good in-, in New Zealand you can get them quite cheap hats
2: sunglasses gloves I needed gloves at the McKinnon pass um That's a good point to mention, actually, is the McKinnon Pass, you go up to around 1140 metres and it's very cold at the top. It's typically around zero degrees there, Mm -hmm. depending on the time of year, could go well below. And it was also very windy, wet, cold. So it's good to have not only waterproof layers at the top, but really good thermal layers and things to protect any of your exposed skin areas. So I wore gaiters, which protected my legs below my shorts, and I had... My ski gloves, which mm-hmm. I do not regret packing for all the extra weight. They were invaluable at the top. And of course, a hip flask of whiskey. Yeah,
1: very important. No, but I agree with you about the gloves. I wore gloves pretty much the whole walk, even on the warm days, just because the wind could be quite biting. Mm. So that was really good. Okay, let's talk a bit about the experience. What did you enjoy about the walk?
2: The scenery, obviously. I mean, it was, I live in the North Island of New Zealand, which is beautiful and has like a lot of amazing places, but the South Island is just, different and it's different type of bush different type of scenery different type of forest experience and it's very green very mossy very i don't know enveloping it was it was a really interesting walk from the the foliage and you know what you see the bird life was also incredible Like Most days you walk out the door And you're just surrounded by birds You can hear them everywhere There's some really interesting, curious um, creatures Like the robin would come up and sit on your boot If you stand still for too long Because they're used to, you know Hikers walk past and they scratch up the dirt And they might be getting bugs under there So it would come and like follow you and hang out um, The kea is an infamous bird in New Zealand For its cheeky antics And they were um, quite common In some of the huts that we stayed at And they're mm-hmm. just amazing animals And they're very intelligent They've been known to pull the rubber lining from around a car window or a windscreen because they know that they can push it in and then get inside the car and then scavenge any food that people might have left inside. I mean, that from a parrot it's incredible.
1: I read recently that the Kia has a special laugh, like a, a call, and it's like their cheeky laugh. So if one of them starts doing this, it's like a signal that let's go and do something fun and uh yeah they'll just all act in a crazy way (laughs) and we really saw that we saw kia's acting in a crazy way yeah
2: they're very cool
1: i enjoyed the bellbirds there was one point where the bellbirds were all singing there were six or seven all just in one little area of bush singing to each other you walked along as you say like this green lots of foliage very lush lush area and then the bellbirds are singing in the background it was magic
2: Another thing that I really loved about the walk was the the walk up to McKinnon Pass. So McKinnon Pass is the highest point on the Milford Track. And the first, second, and fourth days on Milford are pretty easy, pretty flat. And then day three, you go up the McKinnon Pass. I think you gain around 500 meters of altitude and you go down about 900. So mm-hmm. it's steep up and steep down. But the way up was just incredible. Like For all the fact that you're walking up a hill, which is probably not most people's favorite activities <laughs> – The scenery was amazing. The path was amazing. You're Mm -hmm. surrounded by all these – it's like a slate path going up, and it's just beautiful, and the views are stunning, even on a cloudy day like we had.
1: Yeah, I was really impressed with the quality of the track, especially on the first day and on the last day. It's really wide, really well graded. In some parts, you're clambering over rocks and things, especially on day two and three where you're crossing over some rivers and when you're climbing the pass, it gets a bit narrow. Going down, there were lots of stairs – But it's really well maintained and really well looked after.
2: Yeah. And I particularly liked on the downhill, there's one section when you're walking along next to the river, and the river's just full of waterfalls and torrents, Mm -hmm. and it's just incredible. And you're walking on this wooden path, and it's kind of like being in a treehouse. It's quite exciting. And it does make you wonder how people did this path before they put in all of that infrastructure. Yeah, Milford Track has been a famous walk for over 100 years. Yeah. And so if you do it, think about the pioneers and the sort of early explorers who walked that path and led tour groups through there before any of this was put in it's quite amazing
1: and when they got to the end they had to turn around and come back again because there was no way back (laughs) it's
2: nothing like doing a walk twice
1: yeah so what would you say was the best part of the walk
2: for me, I was actually doing it with all of my friends. I mean, this was something I booked f- sort of for my birthday, and I had a group of 16 of us in the end that did it, and it was just the social aspect. It was such a nice thing to do together. Um, and you get to meet, even if you're not going with a big group, you get to meet a lot of cool people in the hut. So there's 40 beds in each hut, and the other people, you know, they're like-minded people. They're visitors from overseas or New Zealanders doing this hike, and mm-hmm. everyone's there because they're really passionate about it and it's something they've been wanting to do for a long time so it's cool the people you meet and the chats in the hut at night um as well as the walk itself which is genuinely amazing cool what surprised you about the walk i think it actually wasn't as tough as i was expecting that's possibly not a good thing to say because it's always good to go into something with expectations that'll be difficult and then it's a bit easier but yeah i just found the days they weren't that long um I guess one of the things that also surprised me was the Sutherland Falls, which technically isn't on the Milford track. You have to do a little detour on day three after you've done the big McKinnon Pass, but it was so worth doing that detour. So Mm -hmm. if you do do the Milford track, don't skimp on the Sutherland Falls detour. It was one of, I think, the best parts of the track itself.
1: Yeah, I think that was definitely worth doing. I was surprised that some people didn't do it. So we got to the hut at night and there were a lot of people who just hadn't been.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, day three is a big day. You do the, the big climb at McKinnon Pass and then the downhill afterwards, which for many people is actually worse than the uphill, particularly if you're you know, over 30 and your knees aren't as good as they were when you were younger. So it is a bit of a ask to add on an extra hour and a half return trip, but you can drop your packs at the um, shelter in advance of the Sutherland Falls where you can also get a nice hot drink and it's a good way. We got to the shelter around 2 p.m. I think. So then by the time we did the hut, Sutherland Falls and back, we were still at the hut by five, which is before dark and plenty of time to cook dinner. So it's a long day, but it's a good day.
1: Yeah, I, I really like that day. What's interesting about the Milford Track is that independent walkers can do it and we stay in certain huts. But then it's there's also guided walkers who stay at different huts and they get kind of the five-star treatments. They have guides, and they have proper beds and electricity. They are paying a lot
2: more for it, though. And they
1: pay a lot more for it. We, I did a little bit of research into how much it cost, and it costs, I think it's between $2,300 and $3,500 per person, depending on whether you want to have a bed in a four-bed dorm or if you want to have a private room, etc. So it's not exactly something that I would like to pay for. But then again, if you have to book a full year in advance to be able to do it, and you just haven't had that opportunity, then it might be the only way some people could do it. But anyway, this um, this shelter that Janine just mentioned was actually beside one of the places where the guided walkers stay. So one of their huts. The company that runs the guided walks puts on hot water and tea and coffee. And it was really nice. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the infrastructure of the walk. So obviously we have to organize our own transport to the beginning and the end of the track. But once we get to the huts, what, what is it
2: like? So during the um, on-season, which is when you can book tickets for, the huts have gas supplied. So when you're doing your cooking, um, there's elements, there's gas um, for cooking on. You just need to bring your own pots and pans and obviously your own food. And there's also uh, log burners, like fireplaces in the common areas of the hut. So they're nice and warm and toasty in the evenings, which is lovely. Mm-hmm. The bank rooms themselves, they vary in size. The first night there were two 20-bed bank rooms. Second night – Second night was a little bit odd. If another you're doing stage. the if you're doing the Milford Track, I'd recommend boosting it on the second day to be first to the accommodation because it had one 8-bed dorm, another 8-bed dorm, and then upstairs was this giant 30 something bed room that was very strangely laid out. So, with hiking, it's always first and first choice of beds. So, mm-hmm. second day you definitely want to get there earliest. And then on the third night it was two 10-bed dorms, and two 12-bed dorms. And by that stage on the trip, you know who the snorers are and you <laughs> know who to try to avoid. So if you can get there early enough or if you have a big enough group that you can take a dorm to yourself, you'll be pretty sorted on the th- third night.
1: Yeah, it was pretty cool because the there's always a ranger in the in the huts. So we had a guy called Ross the first night, a girl called Jules the second night, and a guy called Paul the third night. And on the second night, Jules said, okay, we've got a big group of 16. Shall I tell Paul to put a, a label on one of, one of the dorms to, to save it for you? And so that's pretty much what happened. It was our group and another group, and we added up to 22. So they decided to save the two 12-bed dorms for our two groups combined. And that was really good because we didn't have to worry about who we were going to sleep with, who we tried to avoid. So I think that was a a good little added extra.
2: Yeah, and the ranges themselves are fantastic. They're a really good value add, I think, on the great walks or at least on the milford um i haven't had the ranger talks on other tracks but Mm -hmm. every night on the milford when we arrived there was a ranger talk at a certain time usually around seven or eight and the ranger would sort of talk to you about you know what things were coming up on the track the next day what the weather was going to be like what um animals and birds to look out for um and give you a heads up and sort of anything important it was a good chance also to you know hear a bit more about the area and some of the history and some of the interesting um birds and animals that you'd see
1: Mm -hmm. one thing we haven't mentioned that people should take is sleeping bags because (laughs) we've talked about how the guided walkers have very nice accommodation and i don't think they have to take any sleeping bags but the hut accommodation is very basic it's great i mean like janine said there's the ranger and there's gas provided and everything but the bunks themselves are very basic there's just the bunk and
2: that's it mattress
1: and a mattress bunk has a
2: mattress but that's it no pillow no sheets nothing yeah
1: so you need to bring your own sleeping bag Pillow if you want it. We usually just stuff down sleeping bag covers with
2: clothes or whatever. Yeah, a puffer jacket or a down jacket is very good as a pillow if you stuff it inside your um, sleeping bag cover.
1: Okay, so as we wrap this up, is there anything you'd like to add about the Milford?
2: I guess not so much about the Milford, but maybe just for people to be aware that you know, the Milford track itself, it's very popular. It's very famous. And as we mentioned, it sells out really quickly. There's a lot of other great tracks that you can do in the same area and things that are probably equally as beautiful as Milford. And as Linda and I progress through a few more of these great walks over the next few years, we'll keep you posted on that. Awesome. Thanks, Janine. Thanks, Linda. Cheers, Indie Travel Podcast listeners.
0: Thanks Janine for coming on the show and thanks very much for the year of preparation that went into planning such a great trip over the last month.
1: You're an amazing person and we love you.
0: Well as we wrap up what's happening with us we are in Victoria still over the next couple of days not doing much just catching up on work spending time with family. Babysitting and then, actually. Well, babysit- Yeah spending time with little looking after, yeah so
1: The story gets even better. You know how I said that my sister wasn't around when we arrived in the country? Not only was she not around, she's also not going to be around for three days of our one-week trip because she's going to another conference in Auckland. And um, when I asked her about this, because she told me that she was going, I said, oh, you know, and how does that work with our visit to you? She said, oh, hmm. But in the end, she's decided that it works perfectly because we can look after the kids. So... (laughs) It's great. I mean, we really love spending time with the with the boys. But, uh, yeah, the, the idea of coming here to spend time with family and half the family skipping the country, interesting.
0: Classic, classic. But then this weekend we jump on a set of flights and head up to the UK. So goodbye rain falling on the train carriage roof here in wintry Australasia. We are heading up for the European summer. So Europe, hear me. You've got a week to sort this weather out. <laughs> been looking pretty cold as I've been checking out temperatures. I want to put these polyprops, thermal kind of tops back in the bag and not pull them out again for the next several months.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to have them. I'm happy to carry them. I just w- want to not have to use them. Well, anyway, we'd like to say thanks to the sponsor for this episode, Alliance Global Assistance. As you know, we believe that New Zealand is a wonderful and amazing and spectacular country, just to put it lightly. And we think that you should definitely come and visit. And when you come, make sure to get travel insurance.
0: Yeah, do a day hike if you can't go on one of the great walks. And because things do go wrong on trips, make sure you have that. And with peace of mind, you'll be able to enjoy your trip more. If you're in the States, check out Allianz's website, AllianzTravelInsurance.com, Or if you're outside of the States, then do a search for Allianz Global Assistance and your country name to find your local site.
1: Well, I think that's us for this week. Until next time, travel well.